0: And all the guilt and all the weight of Israel's sin that piled up was put on him. And every guilt and every sin that's piled up in our life was put on him. And he was burdened. He was wearied because of our pile of sin which had built up. But he carried it for us and paid the price for us. Not because we could repay him, but despite the guilt that had piled up. This is the graciousness and the goodness of our God the Lord who forgives his people despite the guilt that had piled up. When you look at Israel, we know that they never, through sacrifice and thanksgiving, could pay for him. When you look at the church today, we never could make up a payment for all that he's done. But in grace, he has. The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with Rock Solid Hope in Rim Country. April seventh, twenty nineteen. Isaiah forty three, verses sixteen to twenty four. It was Benjamin Franklin who once remarked, People return small favors, acknowledge the medium ones, and repay the greater ones with ingratitude. And we, we see that, don't we, right? It's it's easy enough when someone maybe gives you the first place in a line or pours a cup of coffee for you, gives you a small favor, it's easy enough to return such a favor. And perhaps if you can't return the favor, you can at least acknowledge those medium ones to say thank you or perhaps send a letter of thanks. But isn't it sometimes the the greatest gifts are the ones that go about with the most ingratitude? We see this many different ways. Perhaps if you consider how some people enlist to serve their country and put their life on the line, leave their family for months and risk injury and death and often sustain injury or death. But most of the people they serve don't even know their names or get a chance to thank them. Or maybe an even greater example could be, if you're a parent, how countless sleepless nights, countless different diapers, countless different meals, and what do you get in return? Sometimes it's rejection, often it's resisting and sure enough when a child becomes a teenager instead of being filled with gratitude they're often filled with rebellion and ingratitude we most often return the small favors acknowledge the medium ones and repay the greater ones with ingratitude you know, I find it's this true is also, this statement holds also between God and his people. As you look at what God has done, certainly the small ones, we might like to think that we give God a return for the small gifts he gives us each day when we spend time in his word or, or give him thanks, but can we measure up? And we might like to think that we give God a, an acknowledgement for the food on our plate or when we come on once a week to give him thanks But is it enough when you consider the greater gifts he's given us? As what we look at this morning, as we look at the people of Israel and we continue our series on fighting temptation as we see they had failed to return back to their God all the gratitude they should have. But rather, instead of gratitude, they only piled up their sin. And so as we continue our series this morning, we look at Isaiah 43 and we see an important truth in God's response to Israel, and for us, when our guilt piles up. God has to begin here by reminding the people of Israel just who he is. The start of this chapter, he begins with saying, I created you. I formed you. You Just at that, anybody should be saying that we owe God everything, and our debt and our gratitude to him is immeasurable. He gave us life. But God goes on, as he describes here in our reading, he says... This is what the Lord says. Now he describes in brief his rescue for them. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Recall that event? How could the people of Israel forget? Even though Isaiah writes this 700 years after the fact, God's pointing to that time when God made the waters separate on their right and on their left. And the nation, the whole people, about two million of them, crossed on dry ground to safety. And meanwhile, the enemy, the army of Egypt, that pursued them and wanted to either kill them or bring them back into horrible slavery, when they entered the sea, it says, God snuffed them out. And so with one blow, By the water, God brought them freedom and destroyed all their enemies. You know, might look back on that and say, well, 700 years? This was an extraordinary event. Without this, they would still be a nation in slavery. But with this, they were free and God's people. And they had enjoyed that freedom for 700 years, no longer under Egypt. Just imagine if the United States, which has existed now for some 243 years, Imagine if it was to go on for 450 more years. Do you think that we wouldn't celebrate Independence Day with all the more recognition of how great an event our independence was? That's what it was for Israel. Seven hundred years, God had rescued them, and they were free as a people and a nation. But what's striking is though God reminds them of that, he says, Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past that rescue that rescue which brought you 700 years of freedom as a people just forget that why see i'm doing a new thing in other words god's saying to them you think that was something just wait and see what i'm about to do for you as a people it'll be so good that you won't even remember what i did in the past it's going to so outweigh that rescue what is that rescue when you first see it described here you might be a little surprised It's something they already began to receive. He says, Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Wild animals honor me and the jackals and owls because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, at first glance, we might read that and think, How does this top the Exodus event? You know, God probably has more important things to do than put canals and irrigation systems in the desert to feed jackals and owls. How does that seem like it's so good it's going to top what God has done for them already? But as we further examine this, we see, as you look at prophecy and the surrounding context and the point of what God is making here, this is something far greater. See, when Isaiah uses jackals and owls, every time he refers to those, he's referring to inhabitants of places that are desolate, abandoned, and completely left for nothing. And God's point that he's making here is, I'm going to bring life, bring water, to places where you would never expect to see it. You can almost see the The picture what God is saying. In the Exodus event, which I have just reminded you of, I brought the water away and brought dry ground where you'd never expect it. Now I'm going to bring water to the dry ground where you would never expect it, and with it life. God is going to do something miraculous just as he did when he rescued them from Egypt. He's going to bring them something miraculous with water in the desert. And as we read on, we see this is not simply for jackals and owls know, this unexpected, miraculous water, he says, is for my people, my people whom I chosen, who I formed for myself. God's going to do this on behalf of his people, an unexpected blessing. And when we further look at the context of this prophecy, then we begin to grasp just what God is promising, more than simply water in the desert. This is a provision and rescue that Far proceeds and far surpasses any other. He says, as you look at the next chapter, I'm going to pour out water. I'm going to pour out my spirit on my people. And you see here he says, I'm going to bring them forgiveness. What God is saying to his people is, forget the Exodus account because what I'm going to do for you far greater is give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit on your hearts. I'm going to forgive all of your sins and you will be my people. That that exceeds the Exodus event. God is saying, I've done so much for you, and I'm going to continue to do more. Why? That you may proclaim my praise. Not so that they could pay him back, but simply that they might tell others of his goodness. And here's where we see Israel perhaps reflecting our hearts in our lives. That simply wasn't the case in their lives. God says regarding their proclaiming of his praise, yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, nor brought me offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I haven't burdened you. I haven't wearied you with demands for these things. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. Just picture that. God had delivered them, given them 700 years of independence. God had promised he would do so much greater for them. And in return, they bring God not praise. They don't bring God prayers or sacrifice. They bring him sin. And their guilt only piles up. You know, in this series, we've been looking at that we looked in the book of Numbers how they brought the guilt of rebellion. We looked in the book of Judges how they brought continual resistance to his spirit and his word. And we see 700 years later, still, the people could never repay God for all he had done. And they hadn't even begun. You know, Most often people will return a small favor, acknowledge a medium gift, and for greater ones, Respond with ingratitude. What about us? God has done great things for us. The rescue that he brought the people of Israel was to bring about his promise made long before to Abraham and for all nations. That through Abraham and through the people of Israel all this world would be blessed. And God did more than just bring us through the waters of the sea. He has washed us with water and the Spirit. And he poured the Spirit on our hearts To bring us the light of Christ, who says, I am living water. And through him, we have not just independence from slavery on this earth, we have independence from the slavery to sin and the devil. And God says, I'm going to do so much more than that. I'm going to do something that'll be so great, it won't even be worth comparing. How does one repay God for this? In all of our life and in all of the times that you can look back, has God done for us a small favor that we can return it to him? Does coming to worship and sinning his praise somehow pay him for what he's done? Or bringing an offering, does that somehow make up for what he has accomplished? We owe him our very selves. And is it a medium favor that we can somehow just acknowledge him? And if we acknowledge him enough, that will somehow make payment for all that he's done. Rather, isn't it, the greater gift that he's given us, which demands not just our very mouths and our hands and hearts, but our very selves, that we honor him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. Have we done this? What what have we ended up bringing our God, maybe not for 700 years, but throughout our lifetime? Perhaps we see, as we look like Israel, not always the praise he deserves. Can we bring him the praise he deserves? And we end up bringing him also, like Israel, sin upon sin. God says to Israel, "You've wearied me." The translation here is literally, "You've made me a slave to you because of the burden of your sin." How odd to God respond when this is what He gets? That's why he's praiseworthy. That's why this picture here, this call to praise is so wonderful. God didn't do this for Israel. He had not set them free because of anything they had done. God did not do it for us because of anything we had done. Nor did God do it because of anything Israel would do or because of anything we would do. It's called grace. God's love as he burdens himself for the sinner and brings them what they could never repay him for, never rightly thank him for. He has brought us rescue through his son. We saw earlier how in that parable Jesus said they rejected those who he sent. Well, eventually he did send his son. And his son was burdened, as he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a payment, a ransom for sin. And all the guilt and all the weight of Israel's sin that piled up was put on him. And every guilt and every sin that's piled up in our life was put on him. And he was burdened. He was wearied because of our pile of sin which had built up. But he carried it for us and paid the price for us. Not because we could repay him. But despite the guilt that had piled up. This is the graciousness In the goodness of our God, the Lord who forgives his people, despite the guilt that had piled up. When you look at Israel, we know that they never, through sacrifice and thanksgiving, could pay for him. When you look at the church today, we never could make up a payment for all that he's done. But in grace, he has. The Apostle Paul says, not only has God given us more than we could ever pay him back for, he's going to give us more than we could comprehend He says, forget the past. You think I've done a lot for you now? Paul says, the apostle, I don't consider our future glory worth even comparing with the suffering that we now have. In other words, God's going to give us more than we could ever imagine or comprehend. He has poured his spirit into our hearts and brought life where there was once desolate and abandoned darkness. And he has taken the burden and weight of sin And God says, I'm going to lift you out of your graves and bring you to a wonderful place and you will be with me forever. We can never pay him back. But when you feel that guilt and when you feel like your guilt is so piled up and you begin to wonder, could I ever be loved by my God? Could I ever make up for all that he's given me? You have to stop looking to yourself and look to him who with incomprehensible and immeasurable grace brought that and paid that for free. And when you begin to wonder and think is that that guilt not only piles up, but you begin to think, well, I haven't haven't been grateful enough to my God for all that he's accomplished and all that he's done. Once again, don't look at yourself, but look at the God who promises rich blessing, blessing that's far greater than we could ever perceive, far greater than we could ever deserve. And with that, Flows a heart of thanksgiving. Flows life-giving water by His Spirit. Amen.